coming to you live from the basement of an abandoned house in the middle of a field. It's the Derek Izzy Show. Making history his story, Derek Izzy. Moses, thank you for that wonderful introduction. You are listening to The Derek Izzy Show, brought to you this month by a brand new sponsor. The sponsor of this month's podcast is HomeAdvisor. HomeAdvisor offers homeowners the tools that they need to confidently tackle all their home improvement and repair projects. You've probably heard of them. They're online. There's a link on the website at DerekIzzy.com. And you've probably seen one of their many ads on television. The HomeAdvisor mobile app was just named the best on-demand app at Street Fight's 2016 Local Visionary Awards. The HomeAdvisor app uses on-demand scheduling tools to allow homeowners to instantly connect and speak with available local service professionals or directly book appointments into their calendar. This multi-platform home services app is available on Android and on your iPhone. It also has voice activation capabilities on Amazon Echo and Apple Watch. It's one of the best apps in the biz, the HomeAdvisor app. Just to give you a little bit of a background of the home advisor business, they're really in the business of helping homeowners tackle their home improvement, maintenance, and repair projects. But here is how they do it and how they got so big. They pre-screen their service professionals and they connect you with the one that's best for the job. By the numbers, they've connected more than 35 million homeowners to their network of professional repair services since the company started back in 1999. HomeAdvisor receives a request from a homeowner for a service project about once every five seconds. They offer real cost information from millions of homeowner projects, broken down into over 350 different categories. Their website at homeadvisor.com gets over 11 million unique visitors every month. They employ almost 2,000 people, and they've experienced 12 years of consistent profitability. So you know that they're here for the long haul. And that's why we brought them on as a sponsor of the Derek Izzy Show. Go to homeadvisor.com. You can use the link on our website. The link on our website will take you straight to the Home Advisor Wyoming website. And I know we have a lot of Wyoming listeners. Home Advisor would like to help you out with your home repair projects. So if you're in the state of Wyoming, I encourage you to use your home advisor, download the app. If you're anywhere else in the country, check them out. They're the real deal. As you know, the Derek Izzy Show has now been around for three years. This is our 37th monthly podcast. Three years, turning out great material for you to listen to about little-known historical events and things that you wish you would have learned in history class 
but never had the chance to. Typically, we do a year in review, but since we record the shows early in advance, we do not have the final numbers yet from the 2016 year. But I plan to have those released during our February podcast. And now, the topic of today's podcast. Born on February 18th, 1892, this man first made his appearance in Elwood, Indiana. His parents, Henrietta and Herman, were both lawyers. His mom was actually one of the first women to be admitted to the Indiana bar. His father was an immigrant from Germany, and his grandparents were actually part of the revolutions that took place in Germany back in the 1840s. He was born the fourth of six children. Back then, it was normal for families to have that many children and for them to all live together under the same roof. As you can imagine, having two parents that are both lawyers, that led to a lot of family discussions, and it started to form the young mind of the topic of today's podcast. Although his first name was Lewis, he preferred not to use that name. Like I said before, his parents were both lawyers, and they were very involved in politics. From a young age, they started taking him out to political rallies. Growing up in a Democratic household, his parents raised him to be a Democrat. It was common for him to get into major disagreements with other boys his own age who were on the Republican side of things. By the time he was a teenager, his parents were concerned with his lack of discipline. They decided to send him to military school. As he started high school, he went through a lot of changes. His attitude towards his studies completely changed. He began to take a huge interest in school. He had several mentors that were important in his life, getting his education on track. He also decided to join the football team. He had some very athletic friends who influenced him to get into sports. All the while, his love was for debate. He was constantly debating his teachers and wound up getting in trouble on several occasions for arguing with his teachers. His final year in high school, he was elected class president. During his summer vacation from school, at age 17, he headed off to Aberdeen, South Dakota. He started as a dishwasher at a flop house in Yellowstone Park. He rose to be a, a co-owner. Eventually, he was fired after losing control of the horses drawing a tourist stagecoach. His journey back to Indiana led him to represent some striking workers at a local tin plate factory. In August of that year, he made a trip to Chicago to try and get the famous attorney Clarence Darrow to take over representation of the striking workers. Clarence Darrow was definitely willing to do this. However, they could not afford the hefty fee that he charged to represent his clients. In 1910, R. Lewis graduated from high school. He started college at Indiana University in Bloomington. He was very into socialism and a lot of the democratic issues of the day. He became a rebel, almost going towards the communist side of things. He became very active in some of the local political campaigns, as well as campaigning for Indiana's future governor, 
Paul McNutt. Lewis even tried to run for office himself, but it did not pan out well. After graduating from college, he started teaching history at a school in Kansas. He became a debate team coach and continued doing this to try and raise money so he could attend law school. Being in love with the debate, going to law school was a natural course for Lewis. In 1915, Lewis enrolled in the Indiana School of Law. He was a top student and graduated with honors. After graduation, he decided to join his parents' law firm, but he also volunteered for the Army. When he signed up, the Army clerk transposed his first and his middle name. He would no longer be known as Lewis. He was sent for artillery training, and he was shipped off to France. Fortunately, the war ended before Lewis ever reached the front line. His interest in politics after returning from the war led him to get heavily involved in elections. While practicing law in 1933, he rose to the role of president of the nation's largest utilities holding company, the Commonwealth and Southern Corporation. He held this position until 1940, which is when he made the news that makes him the topic of today's podcast. As I said before, he was very socially liberal and a member of the Democratic Party. However, Franklin Roosevelt was president at the time, and he was pushing his New Deal. The topic of our podcast was very much against this New Deal, as well as something else that Franklin Roosevelt was pushing. There was a project called the Tennessee Valley Authority. It basically gave the government control of the Tennessee River floodwaters and put them in direct competition with the Commonwealth and Southern Corporation when it came to providing power. At the time, power was provided by private companies, and the topic of our podcast did not want the government competing against the private corporations. He also criticized the waste in the New Deal welfare programs. A lot of Americans at the time blamed big business for the Great Depression, and he didn't agree that Roosevelt's plans would fix society's problems. But as a wealthy businessman, what could he do about it? Ladies and gentlemen, he decided to run for president. As you know, Donald Trump, being elected to president, he is the first businessman with no political background and no military background to ever be elected president. The topic of today's podcast was perhaps the first businessman to run for president. While he was not elected, he did make a very successful go of it and stayed in the race until the very end. Back then, the leading Democratic Party candidate was Franklin Roosevelt, the current sitting president. On the Republican side, we had a very diverse and different ticket. We had Thomas Dewey from New York, Herbert Hoover, Former president of the United States, he threw his hat into the presidential primaries. Robert Taft, that name should sound familiar too. He was in this primary. Arthur Vandenberg, a senator from Michigan, he was in this primary. And of course, the topic of our podcast was in this primary. 
During the primaries, all of the candidates' weaknesses were exposed. This is something, if you followed the most recent presidential election, you know how aggressively the candidates go at each other. All the bad news they try and bring up. Herbert Hoover was brought out as a candidate of compromise. Robert Taft was very outspoken about being an isolationist and opposing any American involvement in the wars that were going on in Europe. Thomas Dewey was only 38 at the time. He lacked experience and had virtually no foreign policy knowledge. Arthur Vandenberg was a well-known isolationist. Herbert Hoover still carried some of the stigma of the stock market crash of 1929 and then the Great Depression. This left the race wide open for the topic of today's podcast to come through. That candidate was Wendell Wilkie, a Wall Street-based industrialist, never run for public office and seemed like the most unlikely candidate. At the time, he announced his intentions to run for office. No one gave him credit, and everyone thought he would easily be defeated during the primaries. Much like in the case with Donald Trump, everybody was wrong. When it came to thoughts of the war, while all the other Republican candidates were against the war and against our participation, Wilkie came out and supported aiding the British, helping them build their army and fight the war in Europe. Being outspoken about all this, the public started to watch. Hundreds of thousands, perhaps even a million telegrams, urging support for Wendell Wilkie started to come in across the country. Petitions started to be turned in. Polling data showed Wilkie was rising in popularity. One of the issues that Wilkie was running against was Franklin Roosevelt fighting for his third term. At the time, the tradition said that no president should run for three terms, but there was no law against it. This was 1940. The 22nd Amendment was not passed until 1947. The 22nd Amendment prevents presidents from seeking a third term re-election. Wendell Wilkie fought Roosevelt head-on. On election day, Roosevelt ended up garnering 27 million votes compared to Wilkie's 22 million. However, with the Electoral College, Roosevelt amassed 449 electoral votes compared to Wilkie's 82. But with the popular vote being so much closer, you can see what kind of effect Wendell Wilkie had on this presidential election. A candidate, a businessman, comes from out of nowhere jumps into politics, and shakes things up, very close to changing the world. As the media guru of his time, he was very similar to Trump. All the major news organizations gave him plenty of coverage, and he was a big hit at all of his rallies, garnering thousands and thousands of people at every event that he hosted. Americans flocked just to see this man speak and get a glimpse of what he was about. His 22.3 million votes at the time was the largest ever received by a Republican. Sadly, it was not enough to win the election for Wendell Wilkie. After the election, he embarked on a world tour that would take him through the Middle East, the Soviet Union, and China. On his return, he gave an address over the radio. 
During his world tour, he was able to visit 13 different countries. When asked about the receptions he was given in these countries, he said, they all want the United Nations to win the war. Keep in mind, this was 1942 when he was on tour in the world, and there was a world war going on. He says, they all want the United Nations to win the war. They all want a chance at the end of the war to live in liberty and independence. They all doubt, in varying degree, the readiness of the leading democracies of the world to stand up and be counted for freedom for others after the war is over. This doubt kills their enthusiastic participation on our side. Wilkie wrote a book about his world tour, but he failed to live to see the success of that book. For after surviving several heart attacks, Wendell Wilkie finally succumbed, dying on October 8, 1944, at the age of 52. Eleanor Roosevelt, in her October 12, 1944 My Day column, referred to Wilkie as a man of courage whose outspoken opinions on race relations were among his great contributions to the thinking of the world. She concluded, Americans tend to forget the names of the men who lost their bid for the presidency. Wilkie proved the exception to this rule. Before Donald Trump, there was Wendell Wilkie. And now you know the rest of the story. I want to thank everyone for listening. Get on iTunes, write a review of The Derek Izzy Show. Visit the website, DerekIzzy.com, and check out the new sponsor, Home Advisor. You can follow the Home Advisor links on the website. Go to HomeAdvisor.com. Whenever you need a home repair project completed, go to HomeAdvisor, download the app, schedule one of their approved workers to come and complete the project, or shop around for prices. HomeAdvisor.com, download the HomeAdvisor app to your smartphone, the award-winning app that you heard about on the Derek Izzy Show. Good day.